Well, turn with me, please, to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, verse 17 to 10, verse 20, and let's, let's pray. Father, as we have just sung, help us to reject the tempting choice of doubting or delay. For you are a God who continues to speak through your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. So help us to hear your clear word and to do your will to worship you in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, I didn't mention earlier, but it's good to have Mindy back with us from her time in Lewis and also Caleb, I think. Good to have you with us as well, Caleb. So lovely to have you back with us. Here's a question for you. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? If somebody asked you, what is a Christian? How would you, how would you reply? Um, well, one way, one way you might um, you might reply or you might not. But one way to think of what being a Christian is to, is to think of a sponge in the sea. Uh, to think of a sponge in the sea or in the bath. The sponge is in the sea, but the sea is also in the sponge. Uh, the sponge is in the water, but the water is also in the sponge. And if we are Christians, we are in Christ. That is the Apostle Paul's favorite description of what a Christian is uh, in Christ. But we're not just in Christ if we are Christians. Christ is also in us, uh, living in us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have the life of God in the heart and soul of man. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thing, even just to think of that? The life of the infinite God living within finite Foolish creatures like us. But that is what it is to be a Christian. It is to be in Christ, with Christ in us. Now, we know we know from what the Bible says, and we've picked up on it in a time or two through Ecclesiastes, that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God in human flesh. Jesus is God's wisdom incarnate. So if we are living our lives in Christ, and Christ by the Spirit is living in us, then it's not surprising that the call of Christ, the call of Christ through the Apostle Paul says this, be very careful how you live. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the book of Ecclesiastes, as with the rest of the Word of God, is given to us to help us be wise, isn't it? And the book of Ecclesiastes is known for all its troubling twists and turns, is a book of wisdom. It is given to us to help us to be wise and to understand what the Lord's will is for us in Christ. Uh, and today, as I said earlier, we're not going to um, we're not going to look at the whole section that we read, but to help us to learn more of God's wisdom, so that we may live wisely, not as unwise but as wise. Uh, we're going to look at some verses from nine verses seventeen to ten, uh, verse twenty. So we're focusing on the sections nine verse seventeen to ten verse two, and then ten verses twelve and thirteen. I've got four headings. Uh, the first heading is one we've seen before. 
but it applies in different ways today. So the first heading is wisdom is better. As I say, we've seen that all throughout Ecclesiastes in different ways how wisdom is better, but here's a different way we will see how wisdom is better. That's chapter 9, verse 17 to 18a. And then secondly, wisdom is vulnerable. Wisdom is vulnerable. That's 9, verse 18b to 10, verse 1. Thirdly, wisdom is a matter of the heart, 10 verse 2. Wisdom is a matter of the heart. And then fourthly, wisdom speaks words of grace that lead to life, chapter 10 verse 12. Wisdom speaks words of grace that lead to life. Well, firstly then, uh, chapter 9 verse 17 and 18a, wisdom is better. Have you ever been in a meeting dominated by people with loud voices and strong opinions? Not ours, of course. But towards the end of the meeting, towards the end of the meeting, someone says, Angus, there's no one here called Angus, is there? That's why I chose the name. Angus, you haven't said much. What do you think? And Angus stirs himself in his chair and then says a few words quietly, a few words that sum up the whole situation, the arguments for and the arguments against, different courses of action, and then his own recommendation for the way ahead. And then there's silence. Because Angus is a wise man. He has listened to everything that has been said. And it's hard to listen if you're always talking, never mind shouting. And because he's a wise man, he has not been quickly provoked to anger. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9. Not quickly provoked to anger. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9. And because Angus is a wise man, he knows that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15 verse 1. And he also knows, Proverbs 15, verse 28, that the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. And you see, for all these reasons and more, the quiet words, this is verse 17 of Ecclesiastes 9, for all these reasons and more, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded and are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Now we live in an age, don't we, when it's often those who shout loudest who often dominate our airwaves, our TV screens, our computers, and our phones. That's true in the world of politics. It's true in the world of business. It's true in the world of social media and showbiz. It's true in the world of sport. But it can happen in our schools and our colleges and our workplaces too. And we are, we are fortunate, but blessed is a better word, isn't it? We are blessed if there is an Angus among us. And even more blessed if Angus is listened to. Now the question is, and the challenge of Ecclesiastes to us is here today, can you and I be an Angus or an Angusina? If you're new to the Highlands of Scotland, 
we take men's names and put Ina on the end of them to make them a woman's name. We've got William Ina and James Ina and Angus Ina. It's a bit like, I suppose, in I think Ukrainian, Russian, perhaps you have Vladislav and Vladislava. Or, you know, you can make it female, Petrov and Petrova. So Angus. So can we be, can we be an Angus or an Angusina where we are? And the answer is not just from Bob the Builder, but from the Bible is yes, we can. Yes, we can. With the help of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God's word and the mind of Christ, yes, we can. So pray that it might be so. Wherever you find yourselves this week, whatever your work situation, your school situation, pray. And pray remembering the promise of James that the Lord will give Wisdom freely and generously to all who ask, without finding fault. Don't doubt as we ask. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. And wisdom then, verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Uh, now, these verses, um, they do follow on from the section 13 to 16, but they also look ahead to 10 chapter 1, so it's why we didn't look at them last week. But they do look back and follow on from the story of the poor wise man in chapter 9, verses 13 to 16, the poor wise man who saved the city and then whose wisdom was forgotten and was despised. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But it's not, uh, we do see a story in the Bible, it's not an exact parallel. In 2 Kings 18 and 19, we see a wise king, King Hezekiah. He wasn't a poor man by any means. He wasn't poor, but he was a wise king. And if you remember the story, King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem were surrounded, besieged, a bit like the troops on the beaches at Dunkirk that we saw earlier. They were besieged by the Assyrian army. And the commander of the Assyrian army was shouting at them. But Hezekiah did not respond with the weapons of war. What did he do? Do you know? He did what King George VI called the nation to do. He prayed. And if you know the story, you will know that the Assyrian army was defeated without a shot being fired. That the angel of the Lord went out one night and destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Now, as I said earlier in the service, sometimes war is necessary to defend the, the, the vulnerable, uh, to protect against aggression. Uh, the government has the authority under God uh, to do that. But even, even when war is necessary, wisdom is still better than the weapons of war. And that's why we shared the story of King George VI uh, earlier. The quiet words of a wise are better than the shouts of a ruler of fools and more to be heeded. Wisdom is better than weapons of war because wisdom is better. That's the first point. Second point is that wisdom is vulnerable. The second half of verse 18, uh, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 18, reminds us, doesn't it, that folly in the Bible, folly or foolishness, has nothing to do with your exam results or your IQ. It has everything to do with our stance towards God and his word 
and towards his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of every word of God and the word of God made flesh. That's what, that's what wisdom is in the Bible. But while wisdom is better than weapons of war, it only takes one sinner, one fool, in other words, to destroy much good. And the teacher goes on to say, you see how this bridges into 10 verse 1, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, I don't know whether you've ever had a problem of dead flies in your perfume uh, or ointment. Uh, it's not so likely in this uh, climate and this age. But you may have had the experience of one small ingredient, uh, maybe if the yeast was off, meaning that your whole batch of baking was off. Or one small ingredient in your stew means that the whole stew is off. Or maybe one small red sock in a white wash. You might have written a software program, a tremendous software program to do something amazing like um, give an Irishman sense or something like that. But it only takes one bug, doesn't it? One small error in the code and the whole program is useless. You can build a whole aircraft, but if you don't put a bolt in the door where the bolt should be, as we saw recently, the door will fly off when the plane takes off, and suddenly the whole plane is at risk. You see, in this life under the sun, it's not true of God's wisdom in heaven, but Ecclesiastes is dealing with the reality of life under the sun here and now. In this life under the sun, wisdom is vulnerable. And I'm just using it as an example. I'm not making a political point here, but say, for example, the leader of the Labour Party wants to take a strong position against anti-Semitism. He is, after all, married to a Jew. Don't know whether you knew that or not. And then one of your candidates says something like this, that Israel let Hamas attack them on the 7th of October so they could invade Gaza. It only takes one sinner to destroy much good, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. We sometimes say it only takes one. It only takes one sometimes to make a mess of things. Gerald Ratner, some of you will remember the name. He was CEO, Chief Executive Officer of a chain of jewelry shops that bore his name. Uh, April 1991, he gave a speech to the Institute of Directors in the Royal Albert Hall in London. And uh, I quote from him, I'm not going to quote him exactly, but he said, people say, how can you sell this jewellery for such a low price? I said, because it's total, and then he used a four-letter letter word, beginning with C and ending with P. And then he went on to say that one set of earrings was, and I quote, cheaper than a prawn sandwich from Marks and Spencer's. But I have to say the sandwich will probably last longer than the earrings. After those comments, the company lost £500 million pounds in value. Half a billion pounds and almost, almost went bust. He appointed a new chairman to turn things around. What did the chairman do? Sacked him. I don't know Gerard Ratner, but I would imagine he had put in years of hard work 
to build up that business, to have a chain of jewellery shops across the country and beyond. Years of hard work thrown away by a few words of folly. And the same thing, the same thing can happen to church leaders and to us as Christians. And I'm not talking here about serial abusers, uh, serial hypocrites and liars. No, I'm talking here about those who have done a lot of good in the Lord's name for the Lord's kingdom and for the Lord's people. And then one moment of madness, one moment of, of lust, one moment of greed, one moment of bad temper throws it all away. I don't need to name names. You know, you know of situations where that has happened. And even Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah, if you know how his life ends, towards the end of his life, there were envoys came from Babylon. And the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and says, what did you show them? Hezekiah says, I showed them everything. I showed them everything. I showed them all my treasures. I showed them all my wealth. I showed them all my weapons. And Isaiah says, Mm. the word of the Lord says, and those Babylonian envoys who made careful note a little bit of a, what do you call it when you move into a house and you have to make a list of all the things that are there? Inventory of what was hidden in Jerusalem and said, went back to Babylon and said, Jerusalem will be worth conquering. So the teacher tells us that wisdom is better, yes, but wisdom is vulnerable, so be warned. Be on your alert. That's why we have to be on our alert. And I know that. I know my own heart. It's a daily battle, isn't it? It's a daily battle. But in Jesus Christ, God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So wisdom is better. Wisdom is vulnerable. Then thirdly, wisdom is a matter of the heart. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. The heart of the wise inclines to the right but the heart of the fool to the left. And this is not an instruction to vote conservative. Although I did, somebody in John Major's government, which was a conservative government, did try to quote it in that way. I think, I think to be humorous. Um, but it does tell us two things, doesn't it? Very briefly, firstly, there are two ways to live. There is the way of wisdom and the way of folly. Yes, in the Bible, right can stand for protection at my right hand. Uh, you remember Jesus in the parable of the sheep and the goats? The sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. There are two ways, essentially two ways to live. The way of Christ, the way of wisdom, and the way of the world, which is the way of foolishness. Jesus calls one a broad way that lands, ends in destruction of hell and the narrow way that leads to life. There are two ways. But then secondly, when the Bible talks about heart, the heart of the wise inclines to the right and the heart of the fool to the left. The heart, you will know that the heart is not the muscle pumping in your chest. It's not the romantic heart on Valentine's cards with a Cupid's arrow through it. The heart in the Old Testament is the center, the governing, controlling center for everything we think and say and feel and do. And just as steam engines and some other engines, steam engines have a centrifugal governor. Those of you who are engineers will understand more than I do about that, but it has a governor to control its speed so that if the engine comes under pressure and it's going to slow down because of the increased workload, the governor will make it increase its speed to 
So our heart, our heart is the governor that controls not so much our speed, but our speech and everything else we say and do. So Proverbs 4 verse 23 tells us, above all else, everything else, above everything else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. So that one moment of madness won't make you destroy your witness in a stroke. Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. For everything you do flows from it. And Jesus says the same thing, doesn't he, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 23. When he's talking there about what is it that defiles us, he says it's not what we eat that makes us unclean or defiles us. What what comes out of a person is what defiles them because it's out of our hearts, it's out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceits, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. I don't know, have any of you seen the film Oppenheimer? A few of you have seen it. I've not, I've not yet seen it. Um, quite long, I gather, but worth it. Okay. So I've not seen the film Oppenheimer, so I don't know if Albert Einstein says this or whether he's quoted, but this is what he said in real life. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. It's not the bomb. It's the wickedness of the human heart and what it would do with a bomb. And I feel I meant to bring the newspaper with me and I forgot Rishi Sunak standing in Downing Street making that statement about extremism. You know, I mean, you've got to feel for the government and you've got to pray because this is a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's a matter of the human heart. The government can pass all the laws it likes. And of course, law is necessary. Law is good. But it'll not change the human heart. And Jesus' words in Mark 7 teach us that we are not sinners because we sin, that we sin because we are sinners. We need a new heart. And that's why at the heart of the Bible's message is God's desire to give us a new heart, a heart that inclines to the right and not to the left, a heart that is made new in Christ and is ruled by Christ, transformed by Christ, softened and saved by Christ, a heart that overflows not with that list of things that Jesus says are not with slander, arrogance and folly, but overflows with wisdom and words of grace. Because that is what chapter 10 verse 12 tells us, that words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. I mean, that's a horrible picture, isn't it? Fools are consumed by their own lips, destroying ourselves by what we say. But wisdom speaks words of grace that lead to life. That's our fourth and final point, 10 verse 12. There was only one man, wasn't there one person in the history of humanity whose heart was pure? 
whose heart was free from the sin that overflows in our lives as sins. But Jesus' heart was free from sin. And thank God that this one man, Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God for us, spoke words of grace for us and to us. It's words of grace to sinners whose hearts incline to the left, calling us to come to him to receive a new heart, a clean heart, a heart that inclines to the right and worships God. The God who loves us and has given us Jesus so that whoever, whoever believes in him might not perish, but have the grace and the gift of eternal life. Now we read earlier, how Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, the Spirit of Lord, here are some of the words of grace from the wise lips of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we read that the people were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now we know as the story goes on, they reacted against Jesus. But the initial reaction, the initial reaction was that they were amazed at the gracious words that came from Jesus' lips. Words of grace. The Holy Spirit of the eternal God is on me because I have come to give you good news. I have come to open the eyes of the blind, to release the prisoner, to set you free, to give you a new heart. A heart that inclines to the right and not to the left. The life of God in the heart and soul of man cannot be so. Yes, it can be so by grace. By grace, we can know what it is to be in Christ and for Christ, the wisdom of God to be in us so that we can use our lips not to consume ourselves to our self-destruction, but by faith to eat and drink the body and blood of Christ, as we shall do shortly in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And as by, by doing that, we proclaim, don't we? We proclaim with our lips the words of grace that Christ has died, and that Christ has risen, and that one day Christ will come again proclaiming the cross as the greatest demonstration of God's wisdom and grace that the world has ever seen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how we thank you that through Jesus Christ you have spoken words of grace to us to deliver us from our foolishness. Help us, Lord, first of all, to make sure that we by faith are resting in Christ and trusting in him to be our wisdom and our salvation, our righteousness and holiness and redemption. But then, Father, to know that we are not left on our own, but to know that the Spirit of Christ is within us. And to help us, Lord, not only to know that wisdom is better, but to have a heart that is filled with the spirit of wisdom. And that, Father, we too would speak words of grace to those around us. 
because we have been touched by Jesus and he is with us. Amen.